Voice for Victims podcast. Stand up for what is right and leave a legacy behind for others to follow. I am so happy you decided to take the time to listen to this podcast. Now, go and enjoy the show. Welcome, everyone, to Voice for Victims podcast with your host, Crystal Starnes. I hope everyone is having a fabulous night tonight. We are going to have a special guest on the show. His name is Ryan Tassadori, and Ryan is from Western Pennsylvania and is a husband and a father of two adopted children. Ryan is joining us to talk mainly about trauma and how it relates to victims of various types. Ryan has varying aspects of trauma experience from his own life and has learned a lot more about trauma over the last few years. Based on this, Ryan has been asked to speak at the yearly conference for the American College of Osteopathic Pediatricians in 2019 and has also had dialogue with the local school districts on supporting the student population. Ryan would like to ensure that anything shared by him is based on personal experience and not based on academic education on the subject matter or license to provide professional counseling or guidance. Let's welcome Ryan to the show. Good evening, Ryan. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Crystal. How are you? I am great. So, um, I'm excited to have you on the show. Um, I know that you have a lot of experience and you're going to, you know, help a lot of people out there with your story. Your story is amazing. And I'm just excited that you're going to be sharing that with everybody tonight. Thank so, you. I, um, I, uh, I hope I can help some folks out there. Go ahead. Thank you. Uh, well, I guess we could start um, – Maybe tell you know who you are and a little bit about your background. So, so you know you 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 did a great introduction there. Um, so I am a uh, husband and father to two adoptive boys. Um, my youngest is eight years old. My oldest is fifteen. And uh, what uh, tends to to catch people is we actually got them in reverse order. We got my youngest one first. And then uh, my oldest one um, came to live with us later through the open adoption process. We uh, maintained contact with the mother, and as a result, um, she had reached out, and and, uh, we had taken, uh, uh, let me think, the the right word would be we have, uh, we, we had some good dialogue there about, us being the right place for her oldest son to go at the time. And so, therefore, he uh, he joined our family back in 2017. So he's been with us for five years now. Wow. So um, the adoption process, I mean, is it, um, you know, pretty lengthy? Like, did, did it take you, like, a year or so to get him or – so adoption in itself is a quite a process. <laughs> so um, there's multiple steps, um, ups and downs, as you can imagine. But um, all in all, um, it took us two years to get placed with our first child. And then um, it was a couple years later that mom reached out and uh, we were blessed with our second child. Um, so yeah, it, it is definitely a long process. We actually originally were placed with um, a family who, after we had um, actually met the baby, um, had changed their mind. So it was kind of like you you were blessed with a child, and then it was kind of like taken away. So, so that was uh, definitely a tough experience in itself there. But as uh, someone going through adoption, it's something that you kind of Try to prepare yourself for as best you can um, so that you can, you know, kind of work through and process those feelings and things like that as you go. Okay. Um, So maybe talk a little bit about um, your, I mean, if if you want to talk about your son, um, you know, and maybe like 
you know, what challenges you faced, you know, the past couple years? Yeah, for sure. So, so I'm going to actually step back a little bit and just kind of give a little history um, on me to get into that to to help frame this up a little bit better. So, um, you know, it's it's kind of why I feel like I have a little bit of uh, of a better qualification to speak here, and that is in my own life. Um, kind of as you mentioned, I've been through um, some some various traumas myself ranging from physical and emotional abuse to, um, you know, kind of loneliness and and lots of moving around and things like that. So pretty hard to form relationships um, and things like that. So as a result of that, it helped me to learn what that feels like. And through that process, um, it, it really set me up, unbeknownst to me, honestly, it really set me up for success to be able to support an adoptive child, and especially an adoptive child that was of an older age. Um, My youngest, when we adopted him, he was eight days old when we were placed with him. So he has really never known anything but us as his his parents. Now, my older son, he had lived with um, a couple different family members, including his biological mother, and things like that, and throughout that time, he had definitely had experiences that um, were definitely undesirable, such as, you know, violence and being around alcohol and drugs and um, kind of being in, like, an un- unkempt, um, unstable situations, being left to fend for himself, things like that. So so when he joined our family, um Obviously, you don't know this right off the bat. These are things that we had to learn over time. But, but it was almost a blessing that my, my past gave me the ability to relate and understand of how to interact with him as we moved forward for the future. So, so from that... Um, you know, really one of the, the big key points of, of that I wanted to bring up tonight was um, the trauma that's associated with some of these children from adoption. And this is one of those things that I would like to preface with that should absolutely not scare someone away from ever wanting to or moving forward with adopting a child of any age. Um, there are varying degrees of of all of this stuff and it's a matter of just being being prepared being educated the best that you can right no one can prepare for every single situation um and no one really knows what they're about to and uh, you know embark on with their adoptive child but in this case um like i said my son had unfortunately been exposed to some things that as a child Um, You would never want to expose a child to, and therefore, he had become incredibly protective of himself. And so, shortly after joining us and our family, we immediately sought professional services, right? Because we wanted to make sure that we were doing the best thing that we could for him. So, we found a local therapist. Um, We got him, you know, a, a... psychological evaluation to kind of just help us and him really understand what his needs were and what they were going to be now and long term. So we immediately were met with a a gentleman who, as a a psychologist, that did a review on our son. And, And one of the things that always stuck out in my mind from that initial meeting was he said, um, the words, your son is a rule out, so doesn't qualify, doesn't have for RAD. I had no idea what he was talking about, couldn't tell you the first thing about it. I said, okay. He said, basically, don't worry about it. It's not something that he has or that you have to worry about, so, you know, you, you can just ignore it. Okay. So we, we we took this word of this person and we 
moved forward with trying to learn about our, our new addition to our family and help him understand his new environment and grow and, and all of the things like that. So as you can imagine, when something's new, things go pretty smooth. Things, you know, there's, it's happy, it's, it's light. Um, so obviously coming from a negative situation into a positive situation, you know, there, it's almost a little bit of a relief, right? So what we learned after some of the, the time here was that there's, there's a lot of a, a, a facade or a wall that gets put up as a result of, of the traumatic experience. And essentially it's that whole, no one's going to protect me like I can protect myself. So I've got to do what I can, what I think I need to do to protect myself. So, you know, kind of through the next 18 months, so a year and a half, we had a home in complete disarray. It was, it was a lot of kind of bickering and arguing and, and we just couldn't understand what, what was going on here. Um, and it was a really trying time on, on our family and our household because our son was, you know, really, really kind of in, in a situation where he was, we know now protecting himself, but because he felt that he needed to, based on his past and his history, not because he knew what his future looked like and therefore would cause, purposely cause upset, disarray, problems, and things like that in the household. Um, and for us, again, we're uneducated, uneducated on this, had no idea what we were, we were doing here, had no idea what was going on. Um, and throughout this time, you know, we, we kept seeing no growth from the professionals that were helping us and all of that. And so throughout our time, we had switched several times to different professionals, different therapists. We did therapy in an office. We did therapy in our home. Um, we did therapy virtually. We did all this stuff, and we could not figure out. We could, we could never kind of find a resolution point. So, so we decided to do a, another psychological evaluation through um, this time through the Watson Institute, so a professional institute. And um, we went through, did that evaluation, and when they brought us um, in to do kind of the readout of that, one of the very first things they said was, so your son is definitely um, someone that would, would fall under the category of RAD, which is Reactive Attachment Disorder for anyone that doesn't know what that acronym is. And the, the layman's version of what that means is it's the inability to attach to someone because you have learned that if you attach, whatever you attach to will be taken away from you. So, so in this process, when we learned about this and started to understand just the nuts and bolts of it, like what it is at, at the very surface level, that's when everything from the past 18 months had clicked as to what was going on in our home and what was going on with our child. And as a parent, especially as a parent who is, trying to help a child heal from trauma, it is, it is crazy to then think back at like, you know, what the child was feeling or what they were going through or what they were thinking or how this was impacting them. And, you know, there, there was just question on question of, of things that you wouldn't necessarily ever know or find out the answer to, but it really helped to just, shed some light on what was going on. So once we, we, we learned more about this, our first thing was to seek out appropriate help. 
and, and this is something that I cannot stress enough for anyone in a traumatic situation, therapists, um, support personnel, things like that, they are not a one-size-fits-all situation. Um, find someone who fits your situation and understands what you are going through or what your children, family, yourself, whatever the case may be, what they're going through. Until you find that person, keep looking because they are absolutely out there. And from my experience, you won't find relief until you attach to that right person. Um, so lucky for us, um, we found one of the, I will say, I, I'm absolutely biased here, but uh, I, will, I will absolutely tout her praises. Um, we found a, a wonderful rad specialist named Annie Swagger who completely changed our life, the life of our child and the life of us. And what Amy did was she understood. She could relate. She could educate. She could, you know, console. So Amy understood everything there was about RAD, and she she actually um, – kind of worked in tandem with her partner uh, in crime that I'll call them, um, Susan Roop. They are through a, a local organization called Inspire Change. So if, uh, if you're local to Western Pennsylvania and you're, you're needing assistance, please feel free to look them up. Um, they do wonderful things. But um, what happens is Amy works with the children, Susan works with the adults. And in tandem, what they do is they teach the adults what's going on with the child and they start to teach the child how to recognize the situations around them. And, you know, some of the things that we had learned through this process is that everything that you kind of know as a parent or a child, even growing up, your experiences, it's very different when you're in a situation like this. So a little backstory here to help explain this. You know, children that have experience with reactive attachment disorder, basically what happens is from an early age, um, from the last I read, there's actually some medical uh, science that says that it can happen as early as in the womb. Um, but basically, it's a rewiring of the brain to essentially live by the rules of fight or flight. There's really no in-between area. There's no, no common ground. It's things are either good or they're bad. I, I stay or I run. And so, so with that, there is very little room for interpretation of every, anything. There's very little room for... Um, a different understanding or outlook of stuff. So it, it's a really hard thing to overcome when there's no kind of gray common area where you can sit down and, and create some understanding. So that's what Amy helps to form, is Amy helps to form with the children this understanding, that the, the fact that not everything is black and white. There is gray area. Um, and Susan helps to understand or, or to teach you um, this is what's going to happen. This is what your child is going to do. This is how they're going to act. This is what you can do to prepare yourself. So some examples of that are um, these, these kids and, and even adults, I should say. So anyone with, with reactive attachment disorder, um, they live by the rules of control. They need to be in control, they need to feel in control, they need to have control. Um, and so this is something where if they don't have control, they create control or they'll, they'll test the waters of control. So what I mean by that is, you know, I had mentioned that for 18 months our, our house was in a bit of disarray and what we learned was it was really just our our son 
gaining control. So if he could upset myself or my husband and, and, and get us to bicker, it showed that he had control over us, that he had the ability to make us do what he wanted. So it was, it was kind of a litmus test for him to constantly check and see if he still had a grasp on his situation. So it was really crazy to learn this and be able to relate it to everything that we were experiencing. It was like someone parted the clouds and the sun just shined through and like you saw the light and you were like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Like I get it now. And so, 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 you know, some of the things, for example, that we were taught was create false control. I said, well, what? I don't know what that is. So for example, if you are cooking out, let's say, and you're having hamburgers and hot dogs, you could ask that child, would you like a hamburger or a hot dog? So both are available. You have set the stage and the guardrails for both of those things, but now you have passed them control to be able to choose which one they would like. So you are giving them the ability to take control of a situation, but you are doing it in a protected environment. So you are helping them to have control, but within, without needing to, to come get it or take it. You are providing it to them. So it's, it's a very interesting dynamic when you see how when you do this, things start to change because now they don't have to test for control because you are giving it to them. You are allowing them to have it and allowing them to express it. And that was very very eye-opening to me. Um, the other things was, so, you know, if, if your child does something wrong, they get in trouble or whatever, what is the typical response? Time, you got to sit in timeout, right? You go five minutes, sit in timeout, whatever the case may be. Well, in this case, a, a child like my son his his brain understood that if you do something wrong, that's when someone could leave you. That's when you could be kind of tossed away again. So in this case, what you do is you switch it to something called time in. And that means you do something wrong, and now we are going to spend time in together while you are, you know, punished, whatever. You're sitting down. You're You're taking – time out from whatever activity you may have been doing, but you're doing it with me right there next to you, not just next to you, but physically touching you to basically help their brain to understand that even though you've done something bad or wrong, I didn't go away from you. I connected myself to you. And and that was like profound to me. Like I just couldn't, it made all the sense in the world, but I would have never thought of it on my own. And so it's it's one of those things that, you know, these little things that we had learned through the process really helped us to, to see and recognize um, areas of opportunity with him and moments when you could tell that, you know, maybe anxiety was running high or the need for control was was more, you know, more prevalent than it was any other time or, or anything like that. And um, so by that, we were able to, to help get ahead and watch for signs of, you know, him kind of getting more emotional, um, getting a little bit more fidgety or, or upset or anything like that, and we could intervene with things that we knew would help to put him at ease or calm him down. Um, you know, and some of it too is just a kid being a kid. And that's also a challenging thing because you have to decipher the difference between a kid being a kid and a diagnosis showing itself. And so that's a very delicate balance as well. So, so some of these things, um, you know, we 
we spent a lot of time recognizing, understanding, and then putting into practice. And, you know, I joined a couple groups on Facebook and things like that. And one of the biggest things I learned is kind of like with any other diagnosis of, of different disorders and things like that, everything has varying degrees. So I was I was trying to gauge where my son was compared to, you know, the scale, if you will. Um, and what I would tell anyone who is doing that is throw that away. Don't, don't compare. Don't try to connect. Don't try to find the thing. Like, every situation is as unique as, as the person themselves is. Um, and, and one of the things, too, about RAD is it's a lifelong diagnosis. So it is something that can be worked through, but it will never completely go away. Um, now, one of the things, though, that I learned from these kind of outside influences, Facebook groups, stuff like that, was, boy, people were really negative about it. Like, and I, like, just couldn't understand it. And people were, oh, you know, this is what my kid did, and this is, you know, they're just, they're never getting better, they're never doing this, they're never doing that. And, and, then I would read, you know, well, you know, they'll never change. This this is a thing where they don't ever get better and all of that stuff. And and a couple of times I had commented because that that's not correct. This is a situation that absolutely has the ability to get better, has the ability to make a difference, has like this is, it may be a lifelong diagnosis, but it does not have to be to any level of severity that it may have once been. Um, it is a a manageable thing over time. And and so, you know, the, the folks that would tout that it just doesn't ever get better, I had to wholeheartedly disagree with them. And I would say, hey, listen, like, this is what happened with my child. This was the approach that I took. And this was my result, um, for example, you know, the time in or the false control, things like that. And and it, it kind of baffled me that none of them had ever heard of anything like this before. And so I, I could only sit there and imagine, you know, how is it that no one ever, that there's all these people out there, but they've never heard of these types of techniques if it's stuff that's used um, to help with this diagnosis. And then I thought back to the original evaluator for my son who ruled it out. And, and this was a professional that, you know, degrees on the wall, all of that kind of stuff. And it was literally one of the first things that he told me was that this definitely didn't apply. And I was like, wow, as a professional, you know, my son was able to spend time with that person and manipulate them to the point where a professional had the inability to recognize what was going on here. So, you know, that was, that was a big aha for me. And then I started to ask, I started to ask other, you know, people in, in the medical profession, you know, Hey, have you heard of this or do you know about this? And to my surprise, the overwhelming majority were like, I've never heard of that. And I just, I couldn't believe it. And and this wasn't just like, you know, your family doctor. This was therapists. This was psychologists. So these are educated people on, on the brain, on the mind. And they had never heard of RAD. And those that had understood very little about it, but oh, yeah, I heard about that. I remember reading about it here and there, but, you know, it's, it's not really something that I've ever seen or dealt with, so I'm not, you know, very familiar with it. And and I, I just couldn't believe that that was the case, and it really kind of bothered me that there is so many things that could be done, but even our medical, you know, workforce out there didn't know how to recognize it and what to share and what to do 
and all of that. And so every time every time I get the forum, I like to, you know, to educate people and tell them, you know, hey, like it can get better. Things can get better. There are ways to see and understand and recognize what all of this is. Um, and that's how we eventually got connected to um, through our adoption agency, actually. They reached out and said, hey, the American College of Osteopathic Pediatricians is going to be in town for their annual conference, and um, they're doing a panel on adoptions, and they were interested to see if, you know, you as a local family would join, and we had also shared your experience um, with our permission, by the way, on trauma and reactive attachment and all of that, and they would really like you to come speak. And um, and so this was about 300 um, physicians in a room, um, and there was there was a panel there with us and a couple other folks on there. Um, some of them were professionals and doctors and stuff like that, and we uh, we were really the only I'll call us you know people off the street. Everyone else was was credentialed and stuff like that. Like I said, doctors that had adopted children and stuff like that. So, um, so when when we were talking, you know, one of the things that I noticed was there is a very different, it's a very different um, experience to hear these things from a medical professional versus someone who has lived it, has experienced it. Um, you know, my, my, my knowledge is not from a textbook. My knowledge is not from sitting in a classroom. My knowledge is from living it day to day, watching it, seeing how it, it interacts, like all of that kind of stuff. That is where my knowledge came from. So, you know, I, I took the opportunity to speak in front of this room of, of physicians and and share things to look for, um, you know, things to to make sure that they, they kind of take note to. Um, the way that the children act, the way that um, they answer questions, the, their level of comfort. Um, I'll never forget, you know, when, when my son came home, we actually had to go pick him up out of state. Um, and when we brought him home, his his level of comfort with us was like he had known us all of his life. No apprehension, wasn't upset, like very comfortable. And, and you know, for a parent, you're thinking, wow, like this is awesome. Like, boy, like this, he's just like, he's so comfortable. He's just taking to us that, that easily, like this is going to be great. And it may be, right, because not every situation is the same, like I had mentioned. But in this case, that was like the first red flag that something was wrong because the level of comfort was so high. Um, so, so, you know, we had educated these folks, shared some information um, to contact us. You know, we're very much open about anyone that – would like to reach out, would like to talk more. Um, some people just need support. They just need someone to hear their story for folks that are dealing with this kind of stuff. Um, I know that when I was going through it, I personally, um, like, all I wanted to do was tell someone, like, just to, to get it off my chest. Um, you know, I remember standing in my driveway of my house and and crying on the phone to my mother for about 45 minutes straight. And I don't think she could get a word in edgewise, and I just unloaded on her. And, like, as soon as I was done, like, I felt so much better and all of that. And I didn't need anyone to necessarily respond. I just needed someone to listen. Um, but it's even more impactful when someone that can listen and understands um, but nonetheless, someone that can listen is is a win for anyone in uh, in that kind of a situation. So, you know, I would say a couple things here. So one is, 
you know, your your podcast is Voices for Victims. And and as part of this, you know, my son I would absolutely qualify and classify as a victim of his circumstance. Um, you know, he he didn't have control of what he was put into or the things that he was exposed to. Um, but, you know, I, I also wanted to to expose kind of the domino effect that comes with that, right? Because I would never, I would never diminish or discredit or, you know, try to minimize um, anything that would happen to someone who is a victim of something directly, right? That, that would, that's not okay. (laughs) But what I would say is from a victim, a domino effect happens. And so, you know, I, I would liken it kind of to, cigarette smoking. There's firsthand and, and secondhand, right? You're the one smoking the cigarette. You're the one that's experiencing it. You're the one that, that has this happening to them. If you're the one in the vicinity and the smoke is all around you, you are also a part of what's going on there. And that's kind of what's happening here is as a result of my son being victimized, you know, it almost kind of made us in our house victims of his circumstance as well. So, you know, it was something that I don't think a lot of people look at in that fashion of, of how that line of succession can continue to go and build um, until you can kind of stop it and turn it around um, and and start to make strides in the right direction and healing um, and things like that. So, you know, it, it's one of those things where a lot of parents in this position, they just feel lost. They have nowhere to go. They don't understand what's going on. They don't understand how to fix it. They don't understand what to do for their child. And they just need someone to support them too as a result of all of this. Um, so, you know, if, if this reaches even one person in some sort of way to, to let them know that there is light at the end of the tunnel, there is hope, There, things can be better um, than I have spent my time well, right? So, um, you know, I'm sure that there is a, a ton more that I'm not covering right now or anything like that. Has, has anything popped into your head that you're like, I want to know more about this? Um. I am just, wow, like you've been through so much. And, you know, one of the things that stood out to me was the, it was rather disappointing that the first psychologist that you went to and they didn't even recognize the signs of the condition and right away rolled it out. You know, that is disturbing because, you know, how many other professionals out there that are misdiagnosing these children and then what happens is, if they're misdiagnosed, then they're going to be treated inappropriately and then it's going to cause further problems for them and it's going to be more traumatizing for them because they're not being treated properly. And it sounds to me like that's what happened with your situation because, you know, he was he was misdiagnosed and then you tried to get him help and then it not only hurts him but it also hurts you and your husband and your family you know, as a whole, because you're investing all this time, you're learning this treatment process, and then it's not even working, and then you all are just like, why is this not working? So it was very smart on your part to go and get him reevaluated and get him properly diagnosed, you know, going forward. And I guess one of the questions I have is how long did it take after he was properly diagnosed to get him on the right track and get, you know, you know, things getting better in your home? Uh, Yeah, so that's a great question. So um, once we knew what we had in front of us, once we knew what was going on, um, we immediately sought out the correct care, right? So that's when we got hooked up with Amy and Susan. And once we started with them, I would say that there was a change probably – something noticeable within the first two months, right? Because anyone that's been through trauma therapy, anything like that, understands that 
nothing changes overnight, right? Everything is a process. Everything is over time. Um, you know, it takes the body and the mind time to heal. And so I would say in about, about 60 days or so is when we first started seeing things kind of turn the corner and we, you know, kind of started to build on, you start with, you start with little things, right? Like, like the false control and stuff like that. Things that, you know, aren't as obvious. Now, things like, like time in, that is something that you kind of graduate up to. It's not something that you can just go full bore right off the bat. Like there's got to be some work up to that because for the kid, it is the most uncomfortable, un, like it, foreign thing to them ever that someone would want to do that. And it's, it is almost like, like it, it is almost painful for them in a way. Um, and so like, you know, in, in our case, like my son, like he would scream and cry and all of that. And, and like, I was talking to, to his therapist and I was like, this is what happened. Like, oh my God. Like she was like, that's exactly right. It's going to happen. That's exactly what you need to do. And that's what will help him to learn. He's got to basically get all that out to be able to take something new in and, it only it was three times that we did that the whole time, three times that we did the time in where we were connected and with each other, and uh, and after that, it wasn't needed anymore. It like to see kind of that light switch flip was almost amazing. Like it was was like you just you know won the lottery. You were like, oh my gosh, like what just happened here, and and during during it. Uh, like I said, screaming, crying, like you you would have thought that we were the abusers based on the way that he reacted um, when, of course, you know, we were just being there with him, being present. And, and it was just so crazy to see how something like this helped him to break out of, of that mindset and, and really start the shift. That was what really kind of kicked things into high gear of healing that was kind of the tip of the mountain that we got over that and got to the other side and the rest of it was kind of just a a, a gradual downhill you know go and and we we started to make a lot more progress almost immediately and, and i'll tell you one of the things that we that you will deal with um in a situation like this is like i had mentioned it's it's really tough to form relationships. So, you know, the other thing that my child was facing at the time was he was now in a new school district, didn't know anyone, um, and to form bonds and relationships means that they're going to get broken. So, right, you've got to protect yourself. So, you know, to make friends was not something that he was interested in doing. He, you know, didn't want to make any connections with anyone and and it was one of those things that it took a couple of years for him to realize that like it's okay to connect with people and when you connect with them sometimes they are going to leave you but that's okay and and home that's what's not going to leave you your 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 home this is where you belong this is where you'll always be welcome and accepted this is where you're you're safe so kind of having that understanding has helped her also, you know, kind of turn the tide on being able to form relationships and start to connect with people. Um, and really, you know, like he's recently getting out there to, to make friends. Um, he's had one friend really consistently for the last couple of years, but, you know, he's really trying to put himself out there to, to be a friend and knowing that like I could get hurt, I could find someone that's gonna abandon me at some point, um, even a, a, a significant other, like I could get connected with someone, we could enjoy our time together and they could decide that they they don't want to be with me anymore or I could decide that as well. Um, and that's okay. We, we can move on from that, It's it's okay and I don't have to worry that, you know, it was 
because, you know, they're going to hurt me. It's just that's okay. Sometimes personalities and things like that don't match. So learning that took a long time. But, again, we're there. And, like, we're living, walking proof that it is possible, which is awesome. That's awesome. And I assume that he's doing a lot better now. He is. He he is. He's just recently turned 15, and um, I would say that 95% of his personality and actions and the way that he is now is 15-year-old boy. <laughs> he, he is just like That's anyone awesome. else out there. Yep. There's still that little 5% that's that's something you got to kind of just keep your eye on, but for the most part, he's just like anyone else. Is there anything out there that you could tell the people listening, um, like signs to look for in this type of a child? Um, Yeah, I mean, like some of the biggest ones are you will see that a child like this is very – um, very easy to upset the home, but the moment that they're out of the home, everyone loves them. Other family members, teachers, like anyone around them will see them as nothing but the the model human being because that's what they do. They want to make sure that everyone, they can kind of get in everyone's good graces because that is how they can then gain the control and manipulation. So they want everyone to see them that way. As well, you know, for example, and this is something that's really hard um, when you're in an adoptive situation because families, they don't necessarily see what you see and go through at home. So, for example, my mother, his grandmother, you know, I would I would talk to her and she'd be like, no, that can't be right. And I'm like, mom, I'm telling you. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there that express that, like, they can't rely on their family for support because their family constantly looks to them and says, no, you can't be right. Um, and, you know, that that's that's definitely something that there's a, a struggle with out there. But so that, anyway, you know, back to your question, that is one is, you know, kind of that crazy in the house model human outside the house um just looking for for little things little trigger things like you know if there's if there's some sort of disagreement or argument or something you know you got backtrack and evaluate how it started what happened all of that and and try to evaluate and say wait a minute is this something that could have been a play for manipulation is this a control grab um, and, you know, this is also something, too, that is, again, this is caused by some sort of trauma. So this is not just, you know, your everyday person um, that is going to show up with these, these tendencies and stuff. There's, there's a cause and effect situation here. So, um, you know, I, I would caution anyone to label their child as such, um, without being properly evaluated and understood because there are many things that could show up in similar ways but don't qualify as this, um, which would be handled very differently. So so that would be the one thing I would caution there. Um, if you have any questions about about that, have your child evaluated. Um, and, you know, in the Pittsburgh area, like I said, there's the Watson Institute, um, there's also a place called the Center for Pediatric Neuropsychology, an amazing group of people there um, that can do the, the same type of evaluation. I actually found them to be much more in-depth, um, and they both give really great insights as to what's going on and things that you can um, look for and understand um, and then they'll also recommend supports and things like that based on any findings for your child. And that could be, um, you know, kind of like mental, um, social, emotional, um, learning disability, like all of that kind of stuff gets kind of taken care of during those evaluations. So they do 
a lot more than just, um, you know, find the bad things, so to speak. Well, thank you so much for talking about your situation. And, um, you know, you also speak now, you know, from what I heard. And do you do any type of therapy like have you because you'd be excellent at it you're you seem very well rounded and you know obviously you're educated in this now, so I think um you know you could probably help a lot of people i I wasn't sure if you do that or if you're considering to do that um, go ahead. um so yeah so um i I try to make it known that I'm happy to jump in and help where I can. So, you know, for example, um, one of the things you had mentioned in the introduction is working with the local school district. And, you know, a quick story there is I had attended um, a meeting with the superintendent and some school board members and some other people from the community. And, and really it was just kind of some open forum discussion about how to make the school better, different things to work on with the students, um, and, you know, one of the things that kept coming up was um, their kind of mental health, um, you know. And as we know, students, um, especially over the last couple of years with COVID and things like that, have really been taken out of their element. It has really pulled them away from the social aspect that they had been, you know, used to um, and really changed the dynamic of how school was and all of that stuff. So, you know, some of the things that we were talking about as a result, um, not just of COVID, but as a result of the change in general and, um, you know, the way that our society is electronic and there's a lot more ways now for um, for people to, you know, kind of unfortunately attack and go after, you know, people in a cyber fashion. Um, so a lot of that weighs on, on the students and, you know, one of the things that came up that I, I kind of took pause on was, you know, there was a, a story told about a, a student um, in an, an older grade that when given an assignment um, would say, I'm not doing this, and then they would kind of wipe the, the desk with their hand and throw it on the floor. And, you know, unfortunately for the teachers, this is a situation where, like, you are dealing with so many other things that it is hard for you to be able to stop and give that student your attention to move them forward because you're dealing with other things as well. But, you know, I, I had expressed and I said, you know, one of the biggest things is, do you know why that happens? Do, have you ever just stopped and said, hey, why do you do that? Why, why, why did you do that? Um, and it, no, I said, I said, maybe just try that. I said, because I would bet you that that student has a deeper story that they could share and say, you know, maybe, and unfortunately I know that this is, this is true. Maybe they don't have the best ability in like reading. And so when you put assignment in front of them, they can't process it. They can't read it. Um, or it takes them very long and they get frustrated or maybe they have a, a dyslexia or some sort of vision, like something like that. Maybe they've got something going on at home that's really just kind of overtaking their mind. Maybe they, you know, had a relationship go bad, friendship or, you know, or otherwise. I said, but if you would just ask the student why and just kind of let them know that they were heard and someone recognized that they had some sort of pain or something going on, you may be able to get to that person and change them by one simple word of why. I said, so, like, I would encourage you, and I know, again, teachers are, are currently dealing with a lot, um, you know, shortages and stuff like that. So I, I know that the stress is high. But I said, you know, if you just ask why, and this would go for anyone. If anyone sees someone in, in peril and trouble or that has acted out in a certain way, you know, stop. 
instead of retaliating, instead of brushing it off, ask a simple question as to why. I'll bet you it works more times than not to find out that there's there's more to someone's story than what you see on the surface um, that you could help them, e even just, again, by being the person that stopped to take a moment to care. Um, so, you know, to go back to your question, that's what I do. Anytime I get the opportunity to kind of stick my head in, in the room and say, hey, what, where can I help? What's going on? What can I share? And again, I'm not a professional. I'm not licensed. I'm not, you know, educated specifically on this um, in an academic fashion. I'm just a person that has, has lived through these types of things. Um, you know, this with my child, the stuff, like I said, about myself. Um, my, my spouse has dealt with things like anxiety and depression. So, like, I know what to look for there and how to to help folks in those types of situations. Like there's just so many different things going on in the world today that it just takes one person to be nice and to, to acknowledge that someone needs just a moment to make things better. Well, thank you again. I'm, I'm just amazed at how well you, you, you would be an excellent counselor. I'm just, I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> so you understand well, thank you. <laughs> um, Sarah, no you 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 would be <laughs> i i because you're you're so like listening to you um talk about it and you know the answers for everything and it's because you lived it you know they say people that live situations are sometimes the best ones to help somebody going through the same situation so you know you know, I've seen it over the years, you know, from what I used to do for a living, like even just with um, treatment counselors, like for drug addicts and alcoholics, and they, some of those counselors were recovering addicts, that, and they were like probably one of the best ones to help the um, people going through that. So I'm just saying like you, you know, may have met your calling <laughs> You know, I don't know what you do for a living, but, you know, it's just something. I mean, you're very, seriously, you, when you listen to this later, you're you're going to be amazed at how well you talked about it. And, and I think you're going to help a lot of people that's listening in, especially anyone that's going through a similar situation. Um, and you're very good at um, educating. You're very good at making people understand. I mean, with me, you know, it was so easy to listen to it and understand what you were saying. So you would be an excellent speaker um, at, at seminars and conferences for um, professionals out there, like doctors and even in the criminal justice field, I mean, because, you know, they deal with all different types of people. So, you know, the education on RADS, reactive attachment disorder, needs to be um, put out there even more, you know, because a lot of people do not know about it. So um, I just think going forward that you definitely should, you know, continue doing what you're doing in that regard. But I, um, I I'm happy to. And... Go ahead. I was going to say I'm happy to, and if anyone out there listening, uh, you know, would like, you know, I'm happy to uh, to speak or, or join in or do whatever. Um, I'm very very humbled actually to, to lend my time and be able to share um, my stories and experience. So I, I appreciate the, the kind words. Oh, you're welcome. And if you want, um, you can give out your contact information for anyone listening if you're open to that. And then the other thing I was going to mention, um, you'd mentioned the um, place that you went, um, Inspiring Change. I mean, that's up to you if you want to give out their information, but you know, anyone living in this area, you know, and if they are going through the situation and you could give out their information too just so they know where to turn because there are not a lot of places around that deals with that that, you know, that I'm aware of. So, um, you know, that's up to you though. But, you know, the floor is yours to tell any of that information for the listeners. Yeah, yeah, no problem. So, um, yeah, I mean, anyone is welcome to to contact me i'll give you my email address um 
it's it's pretty simple. It's my name. It's Ryan R Y A N dot Tosadori T O S A D O R I at gmail dot com. And then um, inspiring change. They are. Now I got to look them up real fast while we're talking. They are. Um, they are reachable at it's inspiringchange.life is their website. You can see the bios for um, for Susan and Amy that I talked about, um, as well as some of the other uh, folks that are part of their their group there. Um, an amazing group of people. I would recommend them to anyone. Um, they are incredibly down to earth and nothing but willing to help. So um, I cannot sing sing their praises high enough. But yes, please, anyone feel free. Um, if you think that I can help or if you think that I can contribute to something that you're doing, please feel free to reach out, um, ryan.tossadori at gmail.com. Thank you. And if there's anything else that you want to tell the audience, um, you can tell them now, and then after um, that, I'll probably close the show. But I just want to thank you again for coming on. Um, you've been an excellent guest, and you're going to help a lot of people going forward. And I hope that your family um, is doing a lot better, and I hope going forward they continue to do better, and I hope that he gets better, and I hope he's successful, which I have no doubt that he's going to be successful. Um, so. You know, thank you. Just thank you again. I mean, I'm just delighted to have you on here. Yeah, I mean, listen, I would close with, um, first of all, thank you for for giving me the the forum and the opportunity to even come on and speak. Um, I appreciate it so much. Um, So so I I thank you for that. And, And for all the listeners, you know, I would say again, Seek, seek the help that you need in the way that you need it. Um, don't settle for a professional or a therapist or anything like that that doesn't meet your needs. Um, please, you know, look around. Find someone that understands you. Um, and the other thing is, you know, don't. I know this is easier said than done, but don't hold anything inside. Go, go find the help that you need. Go talk to, to people um, don't be afraid to share your story and ask for help because there's lots of people out there that are willing to give the help um, and that can help you uh, overcome some of your obstacles. So that, that's what I would part with today, Crystal. Okay. Well, thanks again. And thank you, everyone out there, for tuning in and listening to this great show tonight. And I hope everyone goes out and does something good for someone and serves others going forward. I hope everyone has a good night. Good night. Good night. Jewelry to fit every budget, occasion, and taste. Bring sparkle to everyday life. Accessories with soul and style. Go to www.blingisticstar.com. Again, www.blingisticstar.com and check out the new trends. Victims Podcast. Stand up for what is right and leave a legacy behind for others to follow by Crystal Starnes. Always stand up and make a difference for yourself or someone else. Don't ever suffer in silence. Voice for Victim podcast wants you. Voice for Victims podcast is dedicated to educating the community about various aspects of victimization 
and giving victims an opportunity to speak up. Currently, the podcast is heard nationally on Thursday nights. It is carried on Blog Talk, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Amazon, and Apple. If you support what Voice for Victims is doing, please contact voiceforvictimspodcast.com and a representative will contact you with further details. Thanks for listening and your support. Kids need nutrition to stay focused and function at their best. Relive Kids Now makes this simple by giving them protein, vitamins, minerals, with nutrients to support their immune system, growth, and brain development. It's all there in a simple, delicious daily shake. You can get this product in vanilla or chocolate. And you can go to healthfirst.relive.com. Again, healthfirst.relive.com. Go get your shake today.